0: In this episode, I speak with entrepreneur, author, and owner of 24 Lux Hair and Makeup in Detroit, Michigan, Sarah Ordo. Key points addressed were Sarah's book writing regarding her personal journey through sobriety and launching of her businesses through self-awareness and unapologetic truth. We also discussed her new endeavor with her brick-and-mortar beauty bar that will augment her already established mobile business and the differences between these two endeavors. Stay tuned for my unabashedly honest chat with Sarah Ordo. My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. everyone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Patricia, and today I'm so excited to be sitting down with Sarah Ordo. Sarah is an entrepreneur and the owner of 24 Luxe Hair and Makeup in Detroit. You can find out more about all of her services and her books that we will be discussing today at www.sarahordo.com. That is S-A-R-A-H-O-R-D-O.com. Welcome, Sarah. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on today. Absolutely. We were just talking before we started recording, and I'm really excited to climb through both your books as well as um, a lot of the industries that you're servicing um, with your um, hair and makeup endeavors. So um, for everyone listening, I'll give you a bio on Sarah, but prior to doing that, quick roadmap for today's podcast, we will first look at unpacking Sarah's academic and professional life, and then we'll turn straight into um, kind of looking at her books. I'm going to have Sarah describe each of those in like the synopsis and as well as the ethos and the philosophy, what she was trying to communicate, who her target uh, readership was, things of that nature, and then we'll unpack 24 Luxe Hair and Makeup. And we'll get into the populations and the clientele that they have had in the past, as well as um, their endeavors right now. They were a mobile company and Sarah just let me know that it was a brick and mortar endeavor that's recently taken change, which is just opposite of everyone else. And I'm excited to find out about that. I like people doing things a little differently. And then we will um, kind of unpack everything that's going on within all of those endeavors before looking at Sarah's goals and advice that she has for those of you who are looking to emulate some of her success or get involved in her efforts. Um, a quick bio as promised, Sarah is not your um, so typical millennial girl, just ha- craving uh, to make moves and leave her mark on the world. She's a bit of a do-it-all kind of woman and seriously um, to do all things. She's an entrepreneur and the owner of 24 Lux Hair and Makeup in Detroit, um, an on-location hair and makeup team for weddings and events. Uh, she is also a licensed makeup artist, self-published author, post- podcast host, YouTuber, life coach, workshop creator, and most recently, has begun organizing live local events. And Sarah, I will say that as I was kind of reading through one of your books, I got the feel of that. I had the I, you know, the sense that it was written by someone who's an, an advisor and a coach, mm-hmm. and I really love that. But before we start unpacking your um, books and kind of your authorship right there, I'm hoping that you can kind of carve out your early academic and professional life so that people get a sense of the platform that you came to writing the books and launching 24 Lux Hair and Makeup.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely didn't start out with what I'm doing now, um, which I feel is the case for most entrepreneurs. I actually started, I went to University of Michigan, Dearborn. I started as a psych major, shifted into early childhood, um, also started teaching preschool right after that. And then at some point during college, I decided I wanted to get my cosmetology license and my parents weren't exactly supportive of it. Uh, we're like, no, we're not paying for that. <laughs> so yeah. I have always been kind of a like, tell me I can't do something and I'm gonna figure out how to do it person. Mm-hmm. So I was actually taking night classes, You know, took out this other loan to go to beauty school at the same time as I was finishing college. So I actually was teaching preschool and then working at a salon on the weekends because I really wanted to do that. And I felt like I, I had to do both, like I couldn't just do one. So around the time I was like a year into teaching though, I was just like, I'm not coming back. Like I, I made the decision. I was yeah. like, I, I loved the children. I loved that aspect of it, but I wanted to do something on my own. I wanted to be more creative and I was not a sit at a desk and write lesson plans every day kind of person. That just really wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left teaching. I started 24 Lux Hair and Makeup in 2013. And it started in my one bedroom apartment at my dining room table. And I would literally do people's makeup for $40, anyone that would let me. Um, and that was kind of how my like entrepreneurial beast came to be, I kind of like to say, like that's where it all started. I started this like, oh, I'm gonna hustle, I'm gonna build this business. Yeah. And I started that, 24 Lux started to build, we've won awards, like everything there just had continuous momentum. And we started to build our team and everything. And then around 2015 was uh, when I actually got sober. So I am five years sober now. And Congratulations. That, thank you. Yeah. Around that time, I I just kind of thought the beauty industry was what I was going to do. And that was it. And yeah. I got sober, started seeing a therapist, had a dream one day that I found a book on the floor and it was pictures of me in the book. And it was me drunk. And it was my story in the book. And I literally went to therapy and I was like, am I supposed to write a book? Is this a sign? Like, what do I do? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, I mean, my therapist was like very supportive about it. And she was like, you know, if anything, maybe it'll be therapeutic for you. Like maybe just process everything, go through all the feelings, the emotions, journal about it. And um, I had created a YouTube channel because I wanted to be like a beauty blogger at some point. And I had that going and it it wasn't big, like not a lot of people were watching it. And one day I just sat down with my phone and I recorded a video called My Sober Story, Why I Got Sober, and the video just kind of like blew up. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was kind of like brought into this new world where there were all these women in the online space and in the online community kind of looking for help, looking for personal development, looking for support especially in sobriety, because at the time, I was 26 years old. There weren't a lot of women talking about being sober at 26. Yeah. So instantly, I had all these women reaching out to me, like, oh my God, how do we, I I was just like you, like, what did you do, what worked for you, and like asking me questions. And that was honestly what kind of opened my eyes to this whole other world I'm in now, where I started, I self-published my first book in 2017, I started my podcast. I started doing, um, you know, online courses and coaching. I started doing events and speaking from all of my experiences. So I really didn't have the like, you know, formal academic background for any of these other things that I'm doing now you know, I have my cosmetology license and I have a degree, but in something completely unrelated. Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's very interesting when people are like, oh, did you go to school? Like, what what did you do? And I'm like, oh, this, all this stuff, I just kind of like self-learned along the way and taught Mm -hmm. myself. Well, I think 90%
0: of it's like that though, you know, and this is a whole nother podcast, but academia for me is about life of the higher mind. It's not Mm -hmm. really about applicable knowledge or on the job training. Mm -hmm. And so um, for me, it's incredibly valid. For those that know me, I'm a passionate academic and I support the um, institution because I like the idea of it. But as far as like it honing a career, that's trade school. That's totally different. You know, it's it's a a completely different thing. And so um, it's funny for me when I think about jobs that require a bachelor's degree. I'm like, really? So are you hoping that they analyze that through the, you know, Confucius knowledge lens? And it's like, no, right. then why are you applying for it? But I think it shows other yeah. skills naturally. But um, I do agree with what you're saying. And there's no school anyway, even if you had gone to school for it, there's no class called entrepreneurship, you no, know, build your own business. All. Those, All of those things are um, self-taught as you have along the way. You kind of dropped in that you, um, in 2017, you wrote your first book. Um, I have it down as Inner Bloom, Finding True Inner Happiness and Creative creating your best life.
1: So sober as fuck was actually my first book. Okay. Inner Bloom was second. So it was, it was in there. It was right in the beginning there. Yeah.
0: So it was the same year. Was it 2017?
1: It was, I want to say it was because I was a psycho. I have nine self-published pieces on Amazon now. Yeah. Excellent. (laughs) That's so great. I mean, they're not all full length books, I have workbooks, I have journals, like I have a couple different, um, some more like quick read books. But after I wrote Sober As Fuck, I became so addicted to the process yeah. that I literally started writing Inner immediately because I was like, oh my God, I wrote a book. Like I have so much more to say now. Like now I'm in a, I'm in a new place. Like I have different things to say. Yeah. After I'm past, you know, the beginning of my sobriety. So that was kind of what led to a writing interview
0: So sober as fuck your sobriety story and why yes. and, and what it offered you So if that's the case, does it begin with um, your bottom and then end with your final um, Acceptance of sob- sober life? And if so, what can you kind of draw us through like in 10 sentences or less? Like what you kind of go through in that journey and mm-hmm. what you choose to share as opposed to what you choose to exclude?
1: Yeah. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty candid in it. Like it's a pretty, pretty open book. Literally. Um, it starts kind of talking about it, a little bit touching on my background, but it pretty quickly dives into my rock bottom. Um, I was, uh, hospitalized. I had to be taken to the emergency room. I drank such a large amount and I took drugs, a lethal combination on top of it. That my body just started shutting down. Um, so I did have a, you know, life threatening experience where I almost didn't walk out of it alive. So I walk everyone through that. And then also you know, I decided to get sober and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get sober. Like kind of naively thinking it was going to be easy. Um, And sober as fuck really dives deeper into the first two years of my sobriety because the first, I would say like between six months to a year were horrible. Like I went into deep depressions. I got to the lowest lows I've ever been in. And it was because I was fighting the help. I wasn't open to accepting all the help and resources there were out there. I was trying to just do it on my own. Hmm. And after I opened up to that, it kind of follows the journey of, you know, going through my second year in sobriety where I really did come to accept everything and start this new life, which, you know, was ultimately so much better than what I had left behind.
0: Absolutely. Was that, was that inspirational for inner bloom?
1: Like as you started to kind of come out of that difficult six months to a year? absolutely. Because after that was like, at the end of that book, like after two years, it became kind of like my relentless thing in life that I was like, I want to create my best life possible. Like Mm -hmm. I'm here now. I did this. I have the second chance. And I don't want to take it for granted. So like, how do I make it my best life possible? How do I make every day the best day? And that's what Inner Bloom really is about. It was how I started changing things in my life, what I started practicing in my everyday life that really gave me like true inner happiness aside from all of the external factors.
0: Yeah, I see the, tra- the trajectory now, like yeah. especially between the books because Sober as Fuck and Inner Bloom from what you just described, those both are like the stepping stones up to... um uh, not sorry, which I'm hoping is you know somewhere around your third because that's what I have it in my notes as. It's
1: my most uh, recent one, actually. <laughs> yeah. Okay, your most
0: recent. I looked. I looked through that, and yeah, um, yeah. And you and I talked before we got on, and I want you to walk people through it. But um, it does have kind of the notes of so it's not sorry, living your most confident, vibrant, and unapologetic life, and you do have this this um, the rhetoric to me is 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 so constant and powerful about like it's, this is, you know, this is your time now. Like you need to tap into who you are and make sure that you stay very transparently, not only honest to yourself, but to your environment, like to those around you, like keeping everyone on the exact same line and page. And, um, and so it makes sense that you start off, you know, with your sober journey, and then climb into the, the inner bloom and really finding out you, because it feels like not sorry is about putting it out there in front of your reality mm-hmm. after you've come into all the mental awareness. But I want you kind of describe um, for everyone listening um, what inspired you to write not sorry, especially because you have such a body of work before it. And mm-hmm. um, who is the reader? Who are you writing for or to um, in describing it? And what is like the shape and the body of the book?
1: Yeah. So I went obviously from sobriety. I have a few books in between that are a little bit more like personal development still. But um, once I, I don't know what it was, once I got into my 30s, it was like, I I don't know if it was age. I don't know if it was just fully accepting myself finally, but I, I started to notice in myself and then it was ultimately who I wrote the book for was that there were so many women, myself included, that we were like, oh, I'm living my best life. And we're like sharing all the quotes and like, oh, I'm happy. Look at me. I'm doing all the things. Like, you know, if we're single, we're acting like we're happy, single, we don't need anybody. Like we're always posting and sharing all these things, talking about how great we are. But then I would catch myself at the same time, you know, having someone criticize something I did. And I was internalizing it and being like, oh, my God, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should change that. Maybe I should do this differently. Like, why is this person upset about it? And just taking on a lot of outside things again, whether it was criticism, people's opinions, whether it was trolls on the Internet. And I saw so many women out there that we were like acting like we were fully authentic, acting like we were unapologetic and we didn't care what anyone else was saying, But then at the same time, still internalizing those things and not fully stepping into that woman that we were wanting to be. And so that was what really inspired me to write the book. It was finally like I had, you know, criticism. I had things happening in my life. I had boundaries that were getting crossed in my life that I didn't want to get crossed. And it was finally like, you know what? Like, I'm not fucking sorry. Like, I'm going to live my life the way that I want to live it, the way that I feel confident, as vibrant as I want to be, if I want to be, you know, quote, extra, If that makes me happy, if I'm not hurting or harming anyone else, why does anyone get to have a problem with it? And why do I need to apologize for what that authentic version of me really looks like? And so it really did just become this book of like preach mode to like be yourself, stop giving a shit about what everyone else thinks, stop internalizing the things that don't really matter, stop watering yourself down, stop whispering when you want to scream and say things out loud and really just not apologizing for who you want to be in your life anymore
0: absolutely and it felt a lot to me like um what you know there's a stereotypical and it's a good stereotype that in your 30s you genuinely start to begin to live life for you you know and prior to that we're just inundated and for good reason you know when you're five you need to heed to all the advice around you so you don't get hit by a car like there's different things of that that are a good reason in our 20s still paying a lot of heed to social cues so that we can become valuable members of society and hopefully compassionate and things of that nature but i think that it's um i did get that kind of like listen you know take stock in all of the lessons you've learned but for certain start to live life for yourself and however that makes you happy and the emphasis on you know making sure that it's um it's good for you and your environment and stuff like that i think that that's Mm -hmm. so crucial um, I encourage everyone to jump on and check it out. It sounds like you have an entire library I haven't looked at yet. So. I do. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. I think it's so rad to be self-published. I think to have a prolific experience with it like you have is mm-hmm. rare. And um, it means that you're probably meant to do more of it. You know, when I yeah. when people do things at such a prolific nature, it seems to be part of their um, DNA for their like zone of genius. I kind of want to get into um, – uh, 24 uh, twenty-four lux hair and makeup now because yeah. um, we were talking uh, before we started and a lot of people who know me or have listened to the podcast know that I have a history in fashion photography. So I run deep, you know, um, decades with um, makeup and hairstylists um, and makeup artists and um, cosmetologists, people um, all in that field as they approach fashion. And I was telling you, I haven't spoken to anyone in the industry that you have largely served, which yes. is bridal.
1: Yes. It's so a I monster went, of its own. It's well, okay. Honestly,
0: I've never been on a photography set that wasn't filled with enough frenetic energy, especially mine. Yeah, um, that people would call them like stressful, but like I like that energy, so that's exciting for me. I can mm-hmm. handle that. I I am actually productive. I ride that wave.
1: But me too. Um, I thrive in chaos. I always say that. Like see, I thrive in chaos situations.
0: Yes, but it's your chaos that actually freaks me out, and it's because your client is stressed. And my client was usually never there. And if they were, it was a controlled environment. I had ways of dealing with the client. Mm -hmm. You know, I was going to do my work. I was going to capture my artistry. I was going to capture all of my buddy's artistry with the makeup and hair, the model's artistry with their, you know, their dynamic um, posing and things like that. But The client um, being around was never my favorite, and let alone the client being the receiver of the product. And on one of the world's most stressful days, my most favorite thing to say about brides is that the most innocent, like Gandhi, Buddha-like figure will for some reason try to mess with a bride or groom on their wedding day. It's the weirdest phenomenon of life, but I promise Mm -hmm. you someone's grandmother, who is normally a saint, or grandfather will just slide a little bit like uh, something weird like a little comment yeah Yeah, (laughs) a little comment or like hey did you take out your trash I think you need to repark your car and you're like homegirls getting married in two hours and it's like why are you doing this to them so you have a very fragile creature already stressed out usually Mm -hmm. underfed and underslept maybe a little and drinking (laughs) drinking or coffee Taking one or the other. Yeah. And then you have, um, all of these, and then you're saying, now let me satisfy you. I like, I don't think you can create a more perfect storm of someone harder to satisfy. It really, that gives me me hives thinking about it. I'm like, I can't, like, I don't know how you perform in those environments. So I want to get into why you chose that industry (laughs) and, um, some of the techniques that you use and, um, like how your response has been, what are the pitfalls? Like it's, it's an area that everybody wants to tee on. So can you kind of walk us through some of that?
1: Yeah. So I first got into weddings because I I started, I have a cosmetology license. I was doing hair. To be honest, I like doing hair. I still like doing some hair. I just didn't like being in like in a hair salon. Um, I really liked the makeup side of things. I really liked the artistry side of makeup more. And I remember I was at a salon and I asked them like, could I do makeup here? And they were like, oh, we already have someone that does it. And like, she was older and they were like, we don't want to hurt her feelings. And I was like, okay so <laughs> i kind of just started you know like i mentioned earlier like doing girls for prom doing things for events and you know yeah. eventually someone asked me if i would do their makeup for their wedding and i was like oh sure like okay and then someone literally asked me they were like why don't you do this like why don't you just do this and i was like why don't i do this like this is so true and yeah. it was interesting because when when i started the business in 2013 there weren't as many mobile teams. Now, there's a ton. Everybody's got a bridal team now. Like Everybody has either a team from a salon that'll come on location, or there are strictly mobile teams. Um, The reason I honestly started the business was, I mean, number one, I just love doing makeup. But in the Detroit area, it's not like New York. It's not like LA. It's not like Chicago, where people have these glamorous events. And they're not paying to get their makeup done for photo shoots all the time. There's not as much of a constant as far as just doing like everyday makeup for people. You know, there's people that'll get it for, you know, family photos, you know, for their weddings, whatever. But I learned very quickly that if I wanted some sort of consistent income doing makeup, I kind of had to get into a specific area of it. It was either going to be commercial. I was going to work at a counter or then wedding popped up and it was like, oh, people are always getting married. There's lots of weddings every year. So that was what kind of got me into it. and. To speak on what, <laughs> what you said about brides and everything, it's really funny because we've definitely had the meltdowns. We've definitely had those people. Um, for some reason, we always laugh. I, for some reason, can handle really crazy people. I don't know what it is. I have a tendency to just like be very nice. Like, okay, you know what? We're going to fix it. Everything's fine. Let's do this. Sit down, girl. Chill. We got it. Like, I'm just very yeah. good at like diffusing things. But I will also say we always have everyone ask and be like, oh my God, like what's your bridezilla stories? Like tell us you probably have so many bridezilla stories. And we always laugh because we're like 95% of the time, it's not the bride it's like you mentioned, it's like an aunt that feels really overtitled or like a random bridesmaid that's like, you know, maybe not feeling so great that day and doesn't like how her dress fits. And so she's like nitpicking everything about herself and she doesn't like her makeup and she doesn't like her hair. And she feels like her, her face looks big, you know, just kind of like tearing herself apart. Or, you know, sometimes there's a mom that's, Saying things that are not supportive on a wedding day and, you know, brides yeah. about to start crying. Like there's so many dynamics because there's so many people and family members and emotions, which I mean, like you throw enough female family members in a room, you're bound to have some, you know, hormones going crazy there already and then throw in a wedding day. Um, but yeah, we always laugh because most of the time it's not the bride. It's someone else that's either being overdramatic or feels over entitled and it just yeah. kind of like blows up a situation. Yeah. Um, but I, I really do love weddings. I, I like fast pace. It's always somewhere different. It's always different people. It's change of scenery. We get to go to different, you know, hotels, venues, downtown, barns, like we're literally always in different places, which I really love. And, you know, 99% of the time the brides are really excited. And they're really happy and it's just, it's a really cool experience to be there with them on such an important day of their life and to be, you know, in such an intimate position with them where, you know, you're doing something like putting on their makeup where it's going to make them feel even more beautiful on their special day and you get to be a part of that.
0: Absolutely, and that's a good way of looking at it. You are bringing yeah. a lot of beauty and joy to someone's um, important day. When did, so, I want to get into some of the logistics. I forgot mm-hmm. to do that in my hyperactivity to jump straight into the tea. <laughs> um, when was when was it founded? Like, did you have a year? Did you take any funding? Um, and no, no funding. Okay, when was your first hire? When did you first kind of start? Okay, work?
1: so I. <laughs> This is totally not what I would recommend to anyone. But in the beginning, when it was just me, I would call my friends I knew that did hair and be like, hey, do you want to do this wedding with me? I'll just give you cash. So it was very non-legit for a very long time. Yeah. Um, So obviously, as we got bigger, we had to get a little bit more legitimate. But because we were a mobile team, we didn't have any overhead in the beginning. So I didn't have to borrow any funding. We didn't have a location. We didn't have... I mean. We literally had nothing. I, I had my makeup kit already. People had hair supply. Like we literally didn't have to buy anything to start it. So it was very low cost to start. Um, I can say now that we've expanded and brought on more people within the last year or so. And you know now we have like more than one team that will go out on any given day so we can do more weddings. And with this new chapter with our beauty bar opening now in 2020, um, that was a whole nother monster. That was a whole nother beast for me to tackle because I had never had any brick or mortar. I'd never had any experience with anything like that. Um, and I just kind of being my go-getter self like dove in like, yeah, we're going to do this. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's go. Yes. Um, so yeah, we dove into that. And that was definitely a lot more expensive, a lot more moving pieces, a lot more legal You things. signed
0: the lease for this, like just oh as God. COVID set in? Yes. Uh
1: huh. Like a couple of weeks before it started. Welcome. Which- yeah, I cried.
0: <laughs> was it bare bones? Did you have to build out? Spaces can vary. You can get into a, like an already outfitted space. Mm-hmm. You can take over a former beauty bar, which already has a lot of things tricked out. What was your yeah. space like? How much like did you have to deal with that?
1: Yeah, so the we found one space originally that we really, really liked. Um, and it was actually funny enough, like now looking back, like it doesn't make sense. It was hundreds of dollars more per month than the one we ended up in. And it was literally bare bones they were kind of like arguing with us every time we were talking about things we would want to change um because he had done the renovations himself it was like an older gentleman Mm -hmm. um and you just started to get the vibe he didn't really want you to change what he did because he felt like he did it and it was good enough Mm -hmm. um so he was kind of like beating down all these uh, like build out things we were proposing um and then ultimately they just rejected our offer and i was heartbroken because i loved the location initially Um, But within a few days we found this new location and it was less per month Um, It's actually an old fire station. So it has original exposed brick. It has like these white beautiful pillars It's got huge windows. It's in a downtown historic area. It's got the original wood um, Like shiplap walling where they used to pin up like the papers and stuff so it had so much character already had rooms built in it wood floors like it was like oh good thing this didn't work out for a reason because this was so much better so we didn't have to do too much build out we had to build one room because we are um, going to offer microblading which is very very strict because it's considered tattooing so you have to have the health department come out and um, inspect and license your facility so that was the only thing we actually had to create a room for that. Um, but other than that, all we had to do was we replaced some flooring in one of the rooms um, and just really like had to furnish the whole place and decorate it and do all that stuff.
0: So when you say beauty bar, what kind of, it's, that's a blanket term. It can mean yeah. a lot of different things. So what yeah. services do you offer and how did you curate uh, what services you were going to offer and not offer? Like you just mentioned microblading. I always think of mm-hmm. med spa with stuff like that. So how did you kind of curate what services and what services do you offer?
1: Yeah, so I personally worked for Benefit Cosmetics part-time for seven years. I um, sold their cosmetics and then I also worked, they have a brow bar, they have a waxing counter. Mm -hmm. So I literally was doing eyebrow waxing and tinting for seven years straight, um, just part-time as I was building all my other businesses as kind of like my safety money. Um, So I had all this experience and I had all these clients and when I left there, all these people were like, can we come to your house and get our eyebrows done? And I was like, uh, no, like
0: <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, um, but at the same time, like I, I've always loved that client relationship and those people were like regular clients. So like I knew them, like they knew me back before I even met my husband when I was working there. So I, I kind of had this thought of like, ah, oh, like I kind of want to keep these clients. So I definitely right off the bat was like, okay, we'll do a brow bar. We can do brow waxing and tinting there for sure. Um, so that was going to be like my component of it. And then obviously the makeup was going to come in there as well because we're all, me and a couple of my girlfriends, like we all do makeup and, uh, we added spray tanning. One of my girls just got certified in spray tanning and then we have eyelash extensions. Um, it's actually the girl that's been doing my eyelash extensions for almost two years. I've been telling her for at least the past year that it was my goal in life to get her to work for me. So Oops. that came through, like came through. Yeah. Um, So yeah, we have, let's see, brow, wear, makeup, spray tanning, eyelash extensions. Uh, We have to, the microblading process is taking a little bit longer just because it's so much um, health department regulation. So we have to go through a couple more in-depth inspections still. Um, And then we're also probably going to offer facials in that room just because it's already going to be kind of set up for it. Yeah. And we kind of, like the way I kind of decided what we were going to do there, like I knew what I was going to do, but I took on this. I've always loved helping other women like build and expand. So I had, you know, these several girls I knew also in the industry. Um, They're all a little bit younger than me. They're all in their 20s, very eager, very excited, very talented. And I was like, hey, y'all want to, do you want to come do this with me? Like, I would love to help you build your business. Like you guys can be in this space with me. Like, it'll be so much fun together. Uh, so that was kind of how we factored in who was going to be working there and what services we were going to offer. Um, I definitely didn't want to get into the hair department there. Mm-hmm. It's a whole nother level of licensing that I was just like, I'm not, a, I'm not a hairstylist anymore. Like I don't want to yeah. be doing hair. So we, well, had and I don't know if services. it's
0: just me, but I don't really like, I don't like the mixture and maybe I'm just old. Like, I don't know what it is, but like, I don't intend to get, um, yeah, the, uh, the eyebrows or, um, the salon. eyelash extensions or at the, ha- yeah. the hair salon. It's like waxing at the nail salon. I think it yes. uh, like a lot of people do it, but I'm like, ah, different stores. Like, yes. I know yes. I, no, I say that
1: all the time. I would have so many clients that came to me at the brow bar and they were like, can you fix my eyebrows? I got them done at the nail place. And I'm like, Girl, like when you pay for a $7 eyebrow wax, like you're going to get a $7 eyebrow Yeah, wax. exactly. So yeah, That's what it, def- it, it like. definitely has kind of like that niche to it. Like it's more of like the beauty, like pampering enhancement side than like hair maintenance kind of thing. Nice. What did you, how did you decide
0: your business model? Is that something you learned along the way or did you like, I mean, that all varies. That whole industry is like the wild west. You can rent space, you can Mm -hmm. do, you know, a salary, you can do an hourly. I mean, there's so many different things. How did you decide on yours?
1: So I literally clueless going into it, didn't have too much business background about how to do this. I honestly just started researching. Um, I, I looked at our, our costs, our expenses, uh, talked to the girls about what would work best for them because you know if they don't have a full clientele, it doesn't really make sense for them to do booth rent because then they're losing money. So um, we all kind of just like pow out on numbers. My husband is way more good on money stuff than I am, so he helped me with a lot of that too. Um, but we've actually gotten it set up to a place where we can cover a portion of our rent with our uh, booth rent uh, nice. girls that are in there, which is really nice because a lot of places, you know, in the beginning, you're just struggling to like get to profit where it yeah. kind of gives us a leg up on that from the get go. Absolutely.
0: That's really cool. It sounds like you've done it right too. I'm curious with the, like the microblading, it sounds like you already have like some future plans planned out. Have you looked forward to even just like daydreaming about the next one to three years, particularly in the brick and mortar? Cause it's your latest scene and baby. Um, but also yes. speaking to, you know, the, um, the hair and makeup with the bridal, do you have, um, future plans for the next like one to three years? Like, um, I think post COVID, you know, where things are starting to open back up, yeah. but, um, as they start to do even more so through the winter and spring, when we get a vaccination, what are your future plans with both endeavors?
1: So right now, I mean, we were just talking about it today. We're like, we're busy. We're busier than we, I mean, like I knew we were going to be busy, but like it's becoming very quickly, like it's, it's catching speed quicker than we thought it was going to. So like, we're in a point where people are literally already contacting me, like I want to get eyelashes and I can't get in until the end of July. And I'm like, sorry, (laughs) that's (laughs) That's what we have right now. Like, I mean, we just opened, I'm like, uh, so we, it's funny. We were literally just sitting outside this morning, having a conversation about it. Um, we have the potential one day, um, there's a way you can sign these things with leases and stuff where um, it's a our building is conjoined with a second business. Um, so we, we actually signed something saying that if the other person was to leave that we would have first opportunity nice. if we wanted the business next door. So my husband is already like reeling with the ideas. He's like, oh my yeah. God, we could open this up and then you could have a whole nother thing here. You could hire like four more lash girls. <laughs> so he's already like 10 steps ahead. So that's something we've definitely been thinking about how we could expand that even more. Um, the bridal teams, honestly, we I feel like we're just gonna keep growing that every year. Um, I feel like at some point I'm gonna max out how many people I want to be on teams yeah. just because it's so many moving pieces with that and so many people traveling. and. Scheduling, it's it's a whole nother uh, ball game with that one. But I'm excited because I mean it's really it's taken speed a lot quicker than I thought it was going to as far as the beauty bar. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how it goes from here. Yeah, and it's a different
0: beast and it should impact, yeah. you know, it's not like it's like having one child and keeping it separate from the other one you had. You right know, they're they're both gonna have communication and conversation and movement between the two. It'll oh, be yes, interesting absolutely. to see. Um, so I'm curious, we're kind of at the point now in our podcast, um, that I, it's my favorite part for those of everyone who listens, but, um, I wanted to, I, when I designed this question, it was, um, long before COVID and it was also <laughs> to kind of show people a mirror back in their face and to give people the, like your top three Bible pieces. But I'm curious mm-hmm. if you were in a park in, in beautiful Detroit tomorrow and, um, So safe social distance um, and a woman or a female identified non-binary individual, anyone other than a straight cisgendered white man walked up to you and said, listen, um, I have a, you know, I have degrees um, in in areas that don't pertain to what I'm doing now. I've kind of bounced all over. I have this incredibly prolific writing career that came out of like an original journey of getting sober and um, I'm moving forward. I'm launching businesses. I'm getting ready to do brick and mortar for the first time. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know now after everything you've gone through?
1: Yeah, um, chase your big dreams because they're not too big because I thought they were scary and I did it. So <laughs> if I could do it, anybody else can. Um, definitely be open to help because mm-hmm. I'm the one that tries to do all the things and think I can do it on my own and sometimes I can't and I need to be open to people helping me. Um, and to be daring, but safe. Mm. Very contradictory. (laughs) Yeah. But definitely like I, and just to like unpack that a little bit, like I am someone who is always daring. I jump in. I'm like, I want to try to do this. I'm going to try to do it. Here we go. Like I jump all in, but I also am financially not stupid about it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like I'm not going to drain my bank accounts and be like, let's see if this works. Like I would never put us in that situation. I'll figure out a way to make it work, but I'm not going to be overly risky when I do it. Absolutely, I some people do
0: that. <laughs> I do too, and I think it's the only piece that people really regret. You know, yeah. it's it's when they lose the house. It's yes. like it's yes. um, everything else. You're like ah, oh, you know, I lost a lot of sleep that year. Yes. This, that, the other. I had to bike to work. Whatever it is, but when right. you. When you go financially to a place where you've kind of changed your quality of life, everything goes downhill. Even when it's a success story after that, they're like, oh, that was awful. Mm Yeah. So I've got Chase, your big dreams. Um, You're not as big and unattainable as you think. Open, stay open to help. And it sounds like in, tied into that is also like getting ready to outsource and, and yes. not be a Jill of all trades, um, even though you can be and be daring, but safe and be financially safe, but emotionally daring. Yeah. I love that. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. I love learning about everything that you're doing with 24 hour, um, lu- or sorry, 24 hour, 24 Lux hair and makeup, <laughs> as well as, um, the beauty bar. What is the name of the beauty bar? The same 24 Lux
1: beauty bar. Yep.
0: Oh, cool. I love that. Um, I love hearing about all of that and your books as well. I encourage everyone to get on and check out at least the one I read, Not Sorry, Living Your Most Confident, Vibrant, and Unapologetic Life. It was awesome. And I appreciate you you talking to us.
1: Thank you so much for having me on today.
0: Yeah. And for everyone listening, I appreciate your time. We've been speaking with Sarah Ordo. She's an entrepreneur and owner and author. You can find out more about everything we've talked about today on her website, www.sarahordo.com. And until we speak again next time, remember to stay safe and always bet on yourself.